Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with the double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson. What are you thankful for this morning? Oh, just life. Just thankful to be alive, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Walking in the studio this morning, hobbling, limping, you know, with sudden urgence to Buy Microsoft products. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking, of course. I, um, Wilson, you're a lunatic. I um, yeah, I got vaccinated yesterday. I uh, got my first dose, and it was really, really great. No, it yeah. sucked. And it was just, terrible. We can, you can see him starting to turn into a crocodile already. But... <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it went... You rolled the dice yesterday. You I gotta did. pray for this brother. I did. I rolled the dice because obviously there's. I, I don't know what oh, what we what I can say. I'm just like I'm just, we are in a really fragile place. Uh, but praise the Lord, I'm I'm not dead. And what's interesting is that you did this before. You know, you you made this appointment and uh, actually even had the shot before Gladys came out with all of her uh, announcements, which we are going to talk about later in the mm. show. But the uh, this is the number of things that I'm thankful for this morning. I'm mm. thankful that here on Faith FM Radio we are not dealing with restrictions. Mm. I'm thankful that we can do Faith FM Radio and I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to minister to people right across Australia regardless of whether they are vaxxed or or unvaxxed and listeners to people who are part of our Faith FM Radio community here are not divided. Mm. We are all united in serving Jesus Christ. We don't have two groups here, you know, the vaxxed, the unvaxxed or otherwise. We have one group of people who come on the radio each morning to spend some time with Jesus, to spend some time studying the Word of God, Mm -hmm. and we can do it regardless of all of the, you know, crazy stuff that is happening around our world right right now and particularly in the state of New South Wales. Yes. But we do have to probably talk about that a little bit. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, fantastic stuff. What's happening in the world of positively different news? Dude, I read, I read this epic story this morning that is like part covert operation success and police raids and then part great discovery in the area of paleontology. Okay, that's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> Right, dude, this is super cool. So basically, um, it sounds in, like a movie plot, dude. Really? In so in 2013, there was a police raid done um, in the Santos Harbor in Brazil um, that uh, seized 3,000 fossils that were destined for the illegal fossil trade. Right. And what they found amongst those fossils, because then you know all of that went into evidence, and they had to convict the people, and and da 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 da. But they've eventually now made their way to scientists, and they're doing their you know, research. And- so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm confused. What's illegal about trading fossils? I mean, they're as common as dirt. You find fossils all over the place. I can t- literally take you to places where there are just cliffs, which is nothing but solid fossils. You know, people um, go fossil fossicking all over the place here in New South Wales. Even in the Hunter Valley, I've got friends who go fossil fossicking. I know. You know how to sell them? Apparently there's an illegal... Or is it just a Brazil thing? I think, I think it's like it depends on like the class of fossil. That that it becomes illegal when it's such and such. Yeah, okay, I, uh, I don't know. I'm just curious. But I, yeah. I, I okay. That's anyway, the one part of the story that illegal. I didn't get. But the point is, the one part of the story I didn't get into. But the point is, is that they raided this thing and they found like three thousand fossils. Among these fossils, they found basically 
a, a fossil of a pterosaur that's pretty much the most complete pterosaur skeleton that has ever been found. That's pretty cool. Which is epic. Um, they call it this one the Tupandactylus navigans. Mm-hmm. And the really epic thing about this is that they've, they've found it and it's, you know, they've observed some really cool things. It has like a, a crest on its head that's like half the size of its body. Okay. But it's ultimately, this is a crazy thing, it's ultimately revealed to them that most pterosaurs, pretty much all pterosaurs, are vegetarian. That's cool. Yeah. So basically, like, un- unlike what was thought before, it's the same thing with, like, a lot of people thought T-Rexes were just, like, solely Meat eaters. Meat eaters. And then as they've done more study, they found out that, oh, no, these would have been like scavenging animals that also would have eaten. Like a bear. Like a bear, yeah. Yeah. Some bears are like 90% vegetarian. That's right. That's right. Then that's what the the conclusion that they came to with um, T-Rexes. But with this, like, with this bird as well, oh, well, this dinosaur pretty much that's like similar to a bird, they're like, oh, yeah, it was pretty much just a, a Jurassic peacock. And it just got around and ate berries and hung out. Whereas, like, previously they thought, oh, yeah, they were, like, running around, eating rats and chasing down other dinosaurs and da-da-da. But they're like, (laughs) no, they were... (laughs) They always love to make dinosaurs vicious and fierce because that's (laughs) that's how you raise funding because that's what catches people's attention. That's right. That's how you, you know... That's how you get fame. That's right. Well, because I feel like, you know, the area... That's That's how you get a name as a paleontologist. That's right. A paleontologist, you know, it's like... Oh, there's this show that came out last year about like chess on Netflix, and no it- one wants to be the discoverer of a of a of a new species of dinosaur that ate grass. That's right, dude. And it, but it's like there's like the also the Hollywood effect, which is like you know since like the movie Jurassic Park, everyone's like, oh, dinosaurs are really cool and epic and eat things. Imagine we can make one, and obviously that would have some run on effect into the area of paleontology because people become interested in it. It's just like yeah, the, this movie came out last year on Netflix, or this this TV series about chess, and after it came out, like the production and sale of chess boards went up like two hundred and seventy five percent, and like oh, it's like re revolutionized like chess and brought it. From like a becoming more and more neat, even though it's very mainstream. But yeah, it's the same thing here with paleontology. If you just like all the dinosaurs ate people and da 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 da. No, but yeah, this is a really really cool finding, and this has completely changed their perspective on on you know the the dinosaur ecosystem and landscape as a whole. But yeah, on pterosaurs, and so I guess um, there's going to have to be a lot of uh, textbook rewriting. Uh, to to understand, they're still claiming that it's like 140 million years old, but you know, whatever. <laughs> and it's got soft tissue, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, 100. Dude, they're gonna saw that bone, o- like the the bone open. They're like, oh, there's bone marrow in it here. Smells. <laughs> dude, that's hilarious. Hey, you know what else is happening recently? Um, they've just given a launch date for the James Webb Space Telescope. So it's essentially the Hubble successor. Oh, cool. Dude, and... Th- yes, dude, I can't wait for this. this thing. Hubble was amazing. It was amazing. But this thing is something else, dude. It has... It's worth $10 billion, yes. first and foremost, which uh-huh. is a very large amount of money. Um, But it's, like, the size of, like, a tennis court. It has this, like, um what? gold... It has this gold-plated mirror, because it's, like, you know, these massive telescopes, like, work on mirrors and all this stuff. It has this, like, gold-plated mirror that's, like... That's, like... Wait, so, oh, yeah, no. So, the mirror itself is 6.5 metres wide. How are they going to get this thing up there? I don't know. There's, like, some folding mechanism, and then 
And then it like as it gets into space, then it unfolds into. You wouldn't want to crash it, would you? Oh, dude, dude, <laughs> it's, like, it's six point five meters in diameter, and it's like this big hexagon oh, circle I can't type wait thing. Wait for this thing to start sending but pictures. It's back. like plated with forty eight point two carat gold. So it's like, we're talking again. It's really worth yeah, it's a, ten that's a million dollars. That's a little bit more than your wedding ring. <laughs> a few carats above your wedding ring, right there. Yeah, that's right. And talk to a jeweler and find out what forty-two point eight carats is. I mean, that's just—I've not even heard of that before. But dude, with this new telescope, obviously Hubble was a massive success, and they saw things that were light years away, and all these types of things. But they're—they're they're expecting that they're going to be able to see things that are like that would, you know, in the millions and billions of light years away. Yes. Like, they are just going to be... Because, obviously, you know, the Hubble Hubble came out, you know, last century. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is the, the, the new, the 2021 upgrade. Yeah, 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 this will yeah, be able yeah, yeah, to yeah. see. So, for us, you know, I guess... I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how... Because they have an estimate of how big space is, but that's just because it's observable. Well, they don't know. They, they just you know, don't and know. And this is the thing that blows my mind. You know, the point of the Hubble, Hubble Space Telescope at Apache Sky that was empty from all land-based telescopes. There's just like nothing there. Mm. And it just comes back with this, um, this solid mass of galaxies. Mm. You know, 200 million suns per galaxy kind of thing. Yeah. And there's just a mass of galaxies extending off into the distance. Not stars, galaxies. Yeah. In, in a space where, you know, from our Earth... Based telescopes, we couldn't see a thing. Yeah, that's right. What I want to see is okay. What's behind those galaxies? Oh, dude, like, how far does it go? Or what's inside those? Maybe we can see inside those galaxies with a new one. Oh, yeah, see inside a really far distant galaxy. Mm. This I am out of all of the space stories that we have ever covered. You know, Elon Musk flying to the to space or yep. whatever it might be. No, 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 no. This, this is, is the, the story. This is the story right here. This is something <laughs> I can get behind because this what this does is that we're spending you know ten million billion dollars whatever it is on discovering the power of God. Wow. Well, yeah. Money well, is money well spent, guys? Eighteenth of December. Chuck that date in your calendars. That's when it's taken off. We're gonna launch it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm praying that uh, nothing goes wrong. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, let's talk about the New South Wales roadmap out of lockdown. Oh, hey. we can't we can't not address this, but I just want to begin by saying that God is still on His throne. God is still Amen. in control. Uh, God rules in heaven, he rules on earth, and he rules in my life. And, and if he rules in your life, then take courage. Amen. He has not abandoned you. He mm. will not abandon you. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Mm. And neither will we to the best of our ability here at Faith FM. Mm. Who knows what the future holds? And at some point, if I read Revelation 13 correctly, Faith FM will close. Mm. However... While ever we are here and while ever we can continue transmitting, we will be here and we will be transmitting the Word of God and bringing it to you and ministering to you wherever you are, regardless of the circumstances that you find yourselves in. Mm. However, having said that, we do want to point out that the New South Wales government has just ostracised the most vulnerable people in our community. Mm. It has created a two-class society and has banned the unvaxxed from attending church. And so we find that New South Wales has gone down the path of really becoming one of the most draconian jurisdictions anywhere in the world. Yep. 
In fact, maybe you can help me out, but I haven't heard of anywhere else in the world yet because I would have reported on it Mm. that has banned unvaxxed people from attending church. Mm. And I think what's happened here is that they've kind of missed, completely have no understanding of religious people and, and people of faith. Church is not like a club. It's not That's right. a place for healthy people. It is a place for the vulnerable. Mm. That's why churches exist. And when you take a church and you say, no, you can only have the healthy people come here, then the reason for that church ceases to the reason for That's that right. church existing ceases to exist. Mm. The whole point of church in the first place is not for the healthy, it is for the unhealthy, whether that is physically, mentally, or spiritually. It it also doesn't make sense then like the, the the point of churches like in terms of why, for example, churches are tax free. Like why why churches don't pay tax and, and have tax exemptions and whatnot, is two reasons. Firstly, it's like... Because they're a charitable organisation that does right. charitable work for vulnerable people. That's right. And now we're not allowed to do charitable work for vulnerable people because they're not allowed to come. Dude, you can make even more of a case as a church sceptic now that... It may have been slightly overstated, but, you know, largely speaking, yeah. Yeah, that's the point. Also, there's, you know, I've heard um, the point made before, like if churches are tax-free, then they can't have a... You know, it's, it's a measure to separate church and state because they're not a tax-paying organisation that then has a say... Um, which, like, fair enough, I'm against the, you know, separation of church and state, but it's largely because of the, the social services provided. And, but now you just get to the point, it's like, what's the point? Like, what? Uh, it's, yeah. It, it, uh, it's, and the thing that disturbs me is that we have an explosion of mental illness in our, in our country right now, right. and particularly depression, and suicide rates are through the roof mm. because of lockdowns and so forth. And you've now got an explosion of people who are losing their jobs because, of issues of conscience in relationship to the vaccine. Mm. And uh, these are the most vulnerable people that we have right now that we need to uh, be ministering to. And the government has come in and said, no, you're not allowed to minister to these people. Well, you know, here on Faith FM, we continue to do so and we will always be doing so. And that's the great thing about Faith FM Radio. Mm. And, you know, it just sort of reminds me that we have never been more relevant than what we are mm. right now. And this is this is on the day when research has come out to show that low socioeconomic people are four times more likely to die from COVID than any other group. Mm. And they're the people that have been banned well, the unvaxxed have been banned because there's you know, a very high level of unvaccination amongst low socioeconomic groups. You know, the, the high socioeconomic groups are the first ones to put up their hand and to rush in yeah. and to get vaxxed and all that kind of stuff. We know all of this. It's, it's not the first time. It's all The world has always been like this. Mm. And so these are the ones that are already struggling with depression, are already struggling with hardship, already have very low vaccination rates, and we're not allowed to minister to them. Mm. It's, yeah, it's... and Okay, so I think why, because if it's someone's personal choice to not get vaccinated, like the only person it affects is, is them and other people who have made that choice to not get vaccinated. Yeah. So what's the perspective then? It's like, okay, so we don't want to like, what is it? Like you don't want to clog up hospitals with people who are unvaccinated or... Hospitals are being clogged up with people uh, with alcohol and... That's right. Um, nicotine issues. Um, yeah, I... I I don't understand, like why? Why is I, I don't? Anyway. I don't see the logic. I don't. Anyway, see. let's. Yeah, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of issues there that we could talk about, but 
uh, Gladys Berejiklian went even further in that she has banned home churches. So you ban churches and then you ban home churches. Well, congratulations, Gladys. You've just created an underground church movement. Mm. That's what you've done. Mm. Now, I'm not... You know, promoting people go out and break the law. I'm just stating reality is that people will go without sport Mm. because just sport. People will go without recreation. It's just recreation. People will go without eating out. Mm. But people will not go without worship. Yeah. And we know this. Mm. Look at China and places like that. Yep. If you want to have an example of what happens when you ban this kind of stuff. And so what's that going to do? Well, you're going to have churches now meeting in secret that you can't control, you can't contact trace, that are all unvaccinated, that are super vulnerable and are going to become super spreaders. You've just created a wildfire for COVID to spread throughout the community. Mm. This is a really, really, really terrible situation that we find ourselves in. And, you know, hey, the reality is that if we look at what is taking place, you know, we can recognise that this is, you know, we, we, we get here and we complain, uh, but really we have life rather easy compared to many other parts of the world. Try mm. being a Christian in Pakistan or India yeah. or China or somewhere like that, mm-hmm. okay? So let's let's be thankful. Let's keep it in perspective. This is not the end of the world. You know, and I've been talking to a lot of Christians who are very, very strongly pro-vax and who are absolutely devastated by this news because, you know, that's just separated them from so many other people yeah. that are more than happy to worship alongside mm-hmm. who are anti-vax or unvaxed uh, for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. here we've got our AMA who is now uh, jumping up and down and screaming this morning that Gladys Berejiklian's uh, relaxation or roadmap is too lenient, too lax. <laughs> And the rest of the world looks on and is kind of shaking their head like, what are you guys doing? The rest of the world has kind of moved on. Yeah. They've reached their their vaccination targets. They've moved on. They've got on with life. The, 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 the virus is surging through their communities and they're all just living with it. Mm. Which, by the way, like, because I, I, I was doing some research last night on, you know, just, just looking through, like, the vaccination rates for each country. Yes. Which are all lower than our target as well. Like, well, there's a few that are above us for sure, like you know Israel and so forth. Mm. Anyway, we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our state. We need to pray for our leaders, mm. and we need to pray for a way out of this situation. Jesus still rules. Take courage, friends. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so while we're all feeling a little bit uh, sad and sore about the roadmap for New South Wales coming out of COVID restrictions, we need to be thankful that we are not living in some other parts of the world. Mm. Uh, Asian Aid is an organisation that operates in Nepal, Bangladesh and India with charitable work, education, orphanages and so forth. And the CEO, um, Paul Esau, is joining us on the phone this morning to talk about some of the challenges of working in those countries. Paul, welcome to the show. Yeah, morning, Lyle. Thanks so much for the opportunity to join you this morning. Now, we're super excited to, uh, to to hear about what is happening here because when it comes to charities and so forth, 
you know, there's we, we understand that there's it's been quite challenging during COVID. There's all kinds of restrictions on movement, restrictions on you know within different countries as to what you can and can't do, lockdowns all over the place. Um, and then you're working in some very challenging countries to begin with. Paul, tell us what are some of the main challenges that COVID has created for doing uh, charitable work. Um, education, orphanages, and so forth in uh, India, Nepal, and Bangladesh. Yeah, thanks, Lyle. I think, uh, like many of us here, we've all been in lockdown for an extended period of time, and uh, that has its own challenges that we all are facing. And as you've talked about this morning, we all have different situations, and this is no different from you know our partners and the children that we support in the countries that you mentioned through uh, Bangladesh, India and Nepal. Uh, but the main challenges can be, uh, I guess, that we've focused on in this period is the child safety. Something like um, that we have here, our kids are at home, they're studying from home online. But in these countries, they're very remote and the children we support live out in remote regions. Uh, they work day to day, they look at how they can support their families each day. And so we've been focusing on, I guess, firstly, is the safety of the children as they've returned home because we have challenges with looking after the children if they're not at school. Uh, the second focus we've been on, Lyle, is uh, the food and ensuring they have um, food packs or financial support to ensure the families can still operate and function. Simple things like... Um, education, we think, oh, well, our children will just dial up on the internet today. And, uh, yeah, we all struggle with our Zoom meetings and think, oh, well, there goes our internet band. But these families don't have those, uh, I guess, basic supplies. So they're some of the challenges that we've been focusing on uh, these last uh, 12 months. Okay, so you would have also seen firsthand, I guess, the impact of COVID in a developing country or developing countries. How is it different? How is the impact different in those countries from here? Do people have the same, or we would assume they don't have the same access to uh, to medical help? You know, we hear some big numbers coming out of India. Are those numbers accurate? Are there more people out there in the community that are contracting the disease, dying from the disease, and is that putting increased strain on, on, on organisations doing charitable work? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, over the last six months we've heard, as you mentioned, these significant numbers in India. You know, their numbers were peaking at over 400,000 a day. Um, so their numbers that are just difficult to, I guess, comprehend and when we're talking with our partners, uh, they are dealing with this every day and this is a challenge that a number of our, the people in our organisations have caught COVID, have had COVID. Um, their families have had that. So they, they've been working with this, I guess, situation and virus while still focusing on supporting the children and the families that we work with. And, yeah, the numbers are real. They're, they're pretty heavy. And, uh, yeah, so when we look at where we're at, we are very fortunate in the environment that we have. In a country like, say, for instance, Nepal or, you know, even large parts of India where it's very mountainous and it's very remote, 
what's happening in those villages as people go home to those villages from their work, from whatever they carry the virus with them? Uh, what's the impact in, in those very remote areas? Yeah, so like our remote areas, we've been working in uh, right up in the north uh, west of Nepal, where it is difficult to get through at the best of times. Um, and the focus for us there is again with just touching base with the safety. And yeah, they are the numbers accurate. Well, it's difficult to say, but the numbers are significant. Like in Nepal, they they peaked out at over 9,000 cases a day. And, yeah, we just focus on supporting the children that we've had and uh, our partners have actually been away from home for extended periods of time to work in those regions themselves and continue to support uh, the children that we have there. And with, uh, with the schools that you're operating, have you had major outbreaks within those schools? Uh, yeah, the schools have um, had some cases. Uh, there's not like the, the schools have shut down in a number of countries. Like um, Bangladesh is just coming back online now, and so a lot of the children are back in their own communities. Um, we haven't had any significant reported cases of the students that we support having COVID. Uh, there are reported cases of families having that. In the children that we support, there's been no um, significant like deaths, if you like, uh, from the children we support, um, and we touch base with them on a regular basis. Um, so the child safety part of it has been our focus, and yet they're all still operating uh, in the remote regions that uh, they work and live. We hear reports back here in this country of very, very high death rates in these uh, countries as a result. You know, obviously with the children, this is COVID's not something that really affects children um, as far as as, um, as killing children goes. But we, we do hear reports of very high death rates. Is that creating a crisis for the orphanages? Are orphanages able to cope with the, the, um, the reported high death rates? Yeah, so this is probably the next phase of where the... I guess, um, challenge is going to be at the moment. So with the schools and the children being returned home, we're working on what will that look like moving forward because, yes, this is where it is believed there will be a challenge because there's already vulnerable children and children that are being supported by one parent and as that information comes in, it is believed that this will be a challenge, yes, for a lot of, I guess, children now who have had one parent or two parents um, impacted by the virus. So this is something that we're working with our partners on now. And, yeah, so we're looking at improving the, I guess, homes that we support, um, building, the, uh, improving the school buildings and also the uh, accommodation area for this situation. Sure, sure. Okay, so um, what about with, you know, Asian Aid, of course, a charitable organisation, you're funded by donations, uh, supported by a lot of people right across Australia uh, in the work that you do. How has that support, what's the level of support been like during uh, COVID and lockdown here you know, for the last year or so? Uh, has there been a drop-off? Has there been an increase? Or have people just been faithful during uh, really difficult times that we are dealing with right now? Well, we've been 
we've been actually very blessed um, as an organisation. Uh, this year, we hit a significant milestone of being 55 years old or young. Um, and across this last year through COVID, our supporters have been very faithful and uh, continue to support the children that we sponsor, but not only support the children, um, support like the, I guess, the crisis sections of providing food and also uh, medical support. So our support has um, certainly not dipped. Um, we've seen an increase in the last year for people wanting to make sure that the children and the families we support have been given the, uh, the food and the medical support that we can provide. So, yeah, our, without the support of our donors, we just would not have been able to um, conduct the programs that we have. So as an organisation, we're extremely grateful for everyone who supports us and trusts us with the funds that they provide. Yes, Paul, that's very, very encouraging to hear that. Um, I'm just so thankful that that is the result. And it just really does show that, you know, people here in Australia, even in a time of crisis, even when we're struggling ourselves, even when we're in lockdown, you know, we recognise that there are people in other parts of the world that are in far worse circumstances, far more challenging circumstances than what we find ourselves in. And we're willing to continue to dig deep and to help out. So that is just absolutely amazing. Uh, Paul, it's been a while since we've featured Asian Aid here on Faith FM Radio. Maybe it would be good if you could just give us a, a, a brief rundown of uh, of the operation and what you've actually got happening across these three countries at the moment. And uh, you've probably expanded quite somewhat since uh, we last had you here on Faith FM. So, just give us a, a rundown of the of the um, of the organisation. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so, as I mentioned, we just hit fifty five years this year, which uh, as a team we're very proud of. Uh, we were founded by Maisie Falk and that work carried on by Helen Eager across those years. And our focus across that period has been to support the um, disadvantaged children in their communities um, and help them wherever we can by through education, uh, predominantly uh, focusing on the Adventist education. And I've been in the organisation now for two and a half years and uh, however, my family and I have been long-term supporter and it's been a real privilege to see and work with uh, the amazing team here who, without you know their commitment and dedication, the programs wouldn't go ahead. Um, so on one hand, you know we have such great support, but the team who deliver the projects here and in country uh, are just so great. And the programs that we've been working on, we have um, the direct child sponsorship that we have been built on, but over the course of the last three to five years, we've been focusing on more uh, holistic community program, which we called our Child Focus Program. And this looks at how we can develop our Adventist schools, uh, the community around those schools, and get the benefit of um, not just a direct sponsorship, but having the whole community be supported. And we're looking to expand that now uh, because one of the things we have seen with, uh, I guess, the COVID is the return home. And one of the benefits, or I guess the blessings of that, is 
the children have been able to reconnect with family and friends, and as we all know, that's extremely important, especially at this time. So we're looking to expand our school, our village school programs and support all of the community. Um, another really uh, exciting program we had in North Bangladesh was the water program. So this enabled the school that we support to uh, put down a well. They were able to then create gardens and um, fish. Uh, and, and this then was able to support the uh, school community and the kitchen and then sell those products to the community. And so that was help, helping their sustainability and provide a long-term, um, I guess, benefit to the school and their community. And now that water is sold out to farmers and farmers were only able to get one crop and now they're getting two or three crops a year. So we're focusing on how can we build the community and provide a long-term sustainable benefit within there. I guess um, that, that's some of the things that we're focusing on, the education and developing our uh, Adventist school programs. That's fantastic stuff, Paul. And how would a person get in contact with Asian Aid uh, if they want to support the work that you're doing at this time? Well, certainly you can ring our office or visit our website, asianaid.org.au, or give us a ring and uh, you'll most likely get to speak with Karen or Emika, who uh, would love to hear from you or anyone who is here. And like I say, we've got some amazing programs going on and uh, really appreciate the support of Faith FM and all our uh, supporters. So thank you for your uh, touching base with us. Thank you so much, Paul Esau from Asian Aid, for joining us this morning and telling us um, about what is taking place over there at this time. So, just to remind you all, AsianAid.org.au is the place to go. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.